Now, what shall I put you down for? Nothing. Nothing? Oh, oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone, sir. Since you ask me what is my wish, that is my answer. I don't make many myself at Christmas. I can't afford to make a lot of idle people many. I help to support the institutions we've just mentioned. They cost enough. People are badly off, they'd better go there. Many can't go there. Many would rather die. Well, if they'd rather die, they'd better do it. And decrease the surplus population. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you as always from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 21st day of September 2007. I start today's episode with the famous quotation from Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol to demonstrate a point. And the point is that 164 years ago, everyone would have recognized Ebenezer Scrooge's quote as a signal that Scrooge was indeed an ignoble man who deserved nothing but our scorn. And that, of course, is the way that Scrooge has been read in the years since the publication of A Christmas Carol, 164 years ago. But today, Scrooge might be recognized as a good environmentalist, a good progressive liberal who's concerned with nothing but overpopulation. Let's use a more modern example to demonstrate that point. We'll turn to an audio clip from the Dick Cavett show from the 1970s, where Dick Cavett interviewed John Lennon and Yoko Ono, the liberal progressives par excellence of the 1970s. And this is what John Lennon and Yoko Ono had to say about overpopulation. Um, I want to know how you, as a woman, feel about overpopulation in the world and its relation to polluting the environment. Uh, I think how, how does Yoko feel about overpopulation? As a woman, I believe. Well, I think the problem is not overpopulation as people believe it to be, but it's more of the balance of things. What, you know, like food, some part of the world is wasted of food, and in some parts, you know, nobody has food. Uh, that kind of a balance, if that is solved, I don't think we would be worried so much about overpopulation. I think it's a bit of a joke the way uh, people have uh, made this overpopulation thing into a kind of myth. I don't really believe it, you know. I think whatever happens will balance itself out 
and work itself out. It's all right for us all living, saying, oh, well, there's enough of us, so we won't have any more. Don't let anybody else live. Mm. I don't believe in that. I think we've got enough food and money to feed everybody. And I think the natural balance, even though old people will last longer, I'm sure there's enough room for us, and some of them can go to the moon anyway. You, you mean you think there's enough if it were Yeah, I don't believe overpopulation, you know. I, I think that's just a kind of myth that the oh. uh, government has thrown out to keep your mind off Vietnam and Ireland and all the important subjects. Oh, I think you're wrong about that. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> One can't help but be relieved by the audience's laughter in that clip. It shows that, at the very least, the audiences of that time were able to take John Lennon's cheekiness for what it was worth and laugh at the false bluster and dire predictions of the chicken littles like Dick Cavett, who believe that overpopulation will be the death of us all. So how then did we go from the liberal bastions of the progressive movement, like John Lennon and Yoko Ono, laughing at the very idea of overpopulation being the problem that will bring down human civilization, to this article from Slate.com just last week, September 10th, 2007. It's entitled Global Swarming. Is it time for Americans to start cutting our baby emissions? And the article reads in part, quote, Instead of burning down our numbers with oil and gas, we might follow the advice of the founder of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, who tells Weissman that everyone in the world should stop having kids all at once. Weizmann isn't up for quite so drastic a measure, but he makes his own pitch, moderate in comparison. Let's cut the birth rate to one child per couple, for a few generations at least. The population would dwindle by about 5 billion people over the next century, he says, ensuring the habitability of the earth for the 1.6 billion who remained. End quote. The article goes on from there, proceeding in a similar manner to try to demonstrate that having children is bad for the environment, and in order to take care of the planet, we must reduce our child fertility rates. This, of course, is a ridiculous idea, as it's a well-known fact that fertility rates in all of the developed countries are already declining, including extremely sharp declines in fertility rates in countries like Russia and Japan, which are now hovering at 1.3 or 1.4 children per couple. But facts like these don't seem to phase this new version of totalitarian, fascist, environmentalist Nazis who would seek to control our ability to have children using the global warming myth as their main justification. And for the visual representation of that, just take a look at the article, which features an illustration of a couple pushing a baby carriage which is surrounded by an ominous cloud of dark gray smoke labeled CO2, as if CO2 was not the stuff of life, and in fact a vital element of the atmosphere for life as we know it to continue on this planet. But the question remains, how did we go from the liberal progressives of the 1970s like John and Yoko laughing at these ideas to people like Daniel Ingbar in Slate magazine thinking it would be a, a humorous or a cool idea to try to limit people to one child per couple in order to protect the environment. As always, it goes back to indoctrination. This is an idea that's been being indoctrinated into us for many, many years. So let's turn to a couple of clips to prove that assertion. Let's turn to a clip from an ABC News report which features CIA fear-mongering over overpopulation. It aired on ABC News recently. By 2015, there will be another billion people crowded onto this planet in places that can ill afford the additional population. The consequences? When we come back. 
Over the next 15 years, the CIA projects that the world will see a population explosion concentrated in poor urban areas and mass migration of people from less developed regions to the West. ABC's Richard Gisbert has more. It was a random act of symbolism, but a milestone nonetheless. On October 12, 1999, the United Nations declared that this baby born in Sarajevo was the sixth billionth person on Earth. Now consider this. Before that child turns 16, there will be another billion humans on the planet. By 2015, we will be 7.2 billion people. But the more significant numbers are these. 95% of the population growth, that's 19 out of every 20 additional people, will be in the developing world, in the kinds of countries that often cannot cope as it is. Another 300 million in India alone, soon to become the second country to go over a billion. Just this week, India saw the largest human gathering in history. 70 million people sharing in a Hindu ritual. The swelling population will accelerate the human migration for economic reasons from rural areas to urban. There will be more megacities like Cairo. In 1950, 2 million people lived here. By 2015, it will be 14 million. Everything that's required for urban life has to be doubled, tripled, quadrupled in a very short period of time. And those are the settings in which you can get lots of political turmoil. Those are ripe conditions for more of the kinds of conflicts the world has seen ever since the end of the Cold War. One ethnic group against another. In many countries, in sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America, half the population is under 20. Too many people who, come 2015, will be looking for too few jobs. That's destabilizing, too. So millions of people will try to come here, the first world, and they will find that in most places, they're not welcome. Which is ironic, because the developed world can use more young blood. Birth rates have declined, the elderly are living longer, and with too few people paying into pension and health care systems and too many drawing from them, something will have to give. If you think the world is a crowded, complicated, and hazardous place now, just wait until this child turns 15. For Nightline, I'm Richard Gisbert in London. Of the, of the population increase in the world, I think literally 30 or 40 percent of it is likely to be in India. India, in general, is going to be looming larger on our screens over the next 15 years. Here's a country that both has the largest middle-class population in the world. Uh, by Indian standards, there, there are more middle-class Indians than there are middle-class Americans, but there are also more impoverished people in India than there are in all of sub-Saharan Africa. So you have cities like Delhi, uh, Mumbai, which used to be called Bombay, Calcutta, and several others will be among the largest cities in the world. Bombay, for example. Three million in 1950, under three million, 30 million in 2015. One city. 
one city. Take off a few of the others. Well, one you've got the map Calcutta open in front of you. Calcutta is there. Karachi, Pakistan was only a million people in 1950. It will be 20 million people. All right. Why do I care? Why does it matter to me? Some of the issues begin to intersect. Uh, population has a, a very significant impact on the natural resource question, for example. So we take the Middle East uh, and, and look at the water problem. Increased, uh, increased urbanization puts further stress on limited natural resources. And then you get into, start getting into the intersection with economics also, and, and then uh, issues of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of violence and terrorism, and it, it all begins to connect. It all begins to connect, indeed, yes. You might uh, be interested to note that the final speakers in that segment were, in fact, intelligence officials, including CIA officials. The CIA was used as a source throughout that story. That's an interesting fact for a couple of reasons. Firstly, why does the CIA consider this to be a newsworthy story? And secondly, since when did the CIA start directing news programming on ABC News? Well, I'll leave that second question up to you. But as to why the CIA is interested in global population demographics, well, let's get a little further into that. I think John and Yoko were perhaps getting to this point when they were dismissing the overpopulation myth on the Dick Cavett show. Their theory being that the problem is not too many people, it's an inadequate distribution of the resources on this planet. The CIA's concern, of course, is to keep the inequitable distribution of resources which favors the elite in America and disfavors those in developing countries. And indeed, as we will see, the people who have promoted the overpopulation myth have always been most concerned about the hordes, so-called, coming from the least developed countries to overwhelm the developed nations. The overpopulation myth serves an agenda of genocide against third world populations and even oppressed populations on the home front. Let's turn to another clip further back in time to help see how this idea came to fruition. Of course, most people trace the idea of overpopulation back to Thomas Malthus writing in the 19th century and his famous theorem that whilst food supply increases arithmetically, population increases exponentially. This, of course, has been proven to be a total intellectual fraud that fails to take into account any type of scientific progress or advance which might increase the food supply in ways unexpected by such a formula. And for more detail on that, I highly recommend a YouTube clip of Webster Tarpley speaking on Malthusianism, in which he points out that Thomas Malthus, in fact, was actually a literary fraud, completely intellectually bankrupt, who stole and plagiarized his ideas from a little-known Venetian monk named Gimartia Ortez, who just happened to be stark-raving bonkers. That's uh, one for the history books, and again, I tr urge you to check out the Webster Tarpley speaking on that topic in the YouTube clip that you can find from the documentation from today's episode on my website, CorbettReport.com. But right now, let's turn to a clip from a little closer in time, this time from the ABC News Archives from August 1970, which marked the beginning of a major media campaign to publicize the overpopulation myth and to get it into the national consciousness, which the Dick Cavett show shows that they were able to do re relatively quickly. Let's listen to the ABC News clip from August 1970. Today, many middle-class women seek help from Planned Parenthood world population clinics across the country. The Margaret Sanger Research Bureau of New York offers three kinds of medical services. Prescription of contraceptives, a fertility program for those who wish to have children but are childless. 
and a male sterilization service, the first outpatient clinic of its kind in the nation to offer vasectomies. Murray Lorber, the father of five, was sent to the clinic. They referred me to Margaret Sanger, and uh, they scheduled an operation for me. Uh, prior to the operation, I had numerous interviews, uh, numerous tests, and a, finally an uh, interview with a psychiatrist. My wife and I both attended. What was your impression of that interview? Well, um, it did pose some questions that I had never considered uh, in relation to the vasectomy. Uh, some questions uh, involving the possible, possible remarriage, possible death of my wife, and uh, possible death of any of my children. So that uh, these are things I hadn't considered before, and naturally, uh, they are things to consider, uh, but uh, I still decided to proceed. Population control is rapidly becoming a concern of the government. President Nixon has appointed a commission on population and the American future. Out of its report, a national population policy is expected to emerge. This year, $28 million will be spent for scientific research and contraception by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development alone. Federal money is helping to develop a contraceptive capsule which would be implanted in a woman's arm, releasing chemicals which prevent conception for up to six months. Work is progressing on inoculations for both men and women, and on morning-after pills. Recently, the Senate passed the Tidings Bill, which would authorize billions of dollars to provide birth control education and materials for the poor. House action has not yet been taken. Several bills on the subject have been introduced by Oregon's Senator Bob Packwood. One would encourage small families by tax incentives. If the bill were to pass, Marlene, starting in 1973, I would allow tax deductions for only two children. Now, that would not apply to children born before 73. It would not apply to adopted children. You can adopt as many as you, as you want, because once the child has been born, it's no longer a part of the population problem, it's here. And it wouldn't apply to multiple births if you had less than, less than uh, two children at the time of the birth. If 1974, you have one child and you, and you get pregnant and you have triplets, I'll, I'll assume you didn't intend to have triplets, and you can have deductions for them all. But short of that, it would be a tax incentive to try to encourage uh, smaller families. Well, how did people in your state and uh, Congress react to your tax incentive bill? This is one of the discouraging things I've found, Marlene, in coming to Congress. Uh, by and large, there's a great many people here whose concept of leadership is stay in the mainstream, sort of feel the public pulse, and don't move too far one way or the other from what the, uh, the bulk of the public is thinking, don't open your mouth, don't do anything controversial, and you can probably be reelected forever, and, and I'm afraid that's true. But, but damn it, at some place there's got to be people who are willing to say uh, there are things that must be done, and if we've got to put our necks on the line to do it, let's at least uh, alert the public to what we think some of the problems are. Ah, uh, now we start to expose this scheme for what it is, a eugenics program promoted by Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and also alternatively known as a Hitler in a Skirt. Why was she known by such an interesting nickname? Well, some of that can be garnered from a Washington Times op-ed written by Deborah Simmons in 2002, entitled The Negro Project which details how Margaret Sanger attempted to, and in some cases succeeded, in recruiting prominent members of the black community, including W.E.B. Du Bois, 
into promoting her family planning programs, including abortion. The sinister part of this comes from Sanger's personal correspondence, which Deborah Simmons quotes in that Washington Times op-ed. And this is a direct quote from Margaret Sanger. Quote, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, end quote. So in that ABC report from 1970, when they start talking about overpopulation and reference the Planned Parenthood clinics started by Margaret Sanger on numerous occasions, you might get an idea of what kind of agenda they're really trying to promote. And just as a side note to give you a little more flavor on Margaret Sanger's colorful life, one of her lovers just happened to be H.G. Wells, the renowned science fiction novelist who's of course best known for works like War of the Worlds and The Time Machine, but is perhaps not so well known for books he wrote, including The Open Conspiracy and one entitled The New World Order, in which he writes, quote, Countless people from maharajas to millionaires and from puka sahibs to pretty ladies will hate the New World Order, be rendered unhappy by frustration of their passions and ambitions through its advent, and will die protesting against it, end quote. But maybe that's neither here nor there. Well, then let's return to the idea that the overpopulation myth is being promoted by eugenicists. Surely Margaret Sanger is an anomaly, and her hatred of blacks in America is just a minor blemish in the otherwise pristine history of the overpopulation myth. Well, perhaps not. Let's look at Sir Frank McFarlane Burnett. For my Australian listeners out there, you will probably know him as a renowned Australian virologist and immunologist, and a Nobel Prize winner for his work demonstrating acquired immune tolerance. What you may not know about Sir McFarlane Burnett, this prize-winning immunologist and symbol of scientific progress, he was a genocidal maniac. We have a story from the Melbourne Age from March 10, 2002, entitled Burnett's Solution, The Plan to Poison Southeast Asia. And this article reads in part, quote, World-famous microbiologist Sir McFarlane Burnett, the Nobel Prize winner revered as Australia's greatest medical research scientist, secretly urged the government to develop biological weapons for use against Indonesia and other overpopulated countries of Southeast Asia. The revelation is contained in top-secret files declassified by the National Archives of Australia, despite resistance from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. The files include a comprehensive memo Sir McFarlane wrote for the Defense Department in 1947, in which he said Australia should develop biological weapons that would work in tropical Asia without spreading to Australia's more temperate population centres. Specifically to the Australian situation, the most effective counter-offensive to threatened invasion by overpopulated Asiatic countries would be directed towards the destruction by biological or chemical means of tropical food crops and the dissemination of infectious disease capable of spreading in tropical, but not under Australian conditions, Sir McFarlane said. End quote. And here we have yet another madman who just happens to be an immunologist. Wow, surprise, surprise. You might want to turn to episode 9 of the Corbett Report for a little bit more detail on immunology and how that feeds into the New World Order system. But again, we have Margaret Sanger 
promoting the idea that overpopulation must be met by eugenic sterilization of the black population in America. We have Sir McFarlane Burnett, the prize-winning immunologist, who says that overpopulation of Asiatic countries must be countered by Australia launching biowarfare attacks on those countries. Well, perhaps you think this genocidal, eugenicist, race purity trend is only limited to those two individuals in the movement. Well, let's take a look at some more examples. On December 10, 1974, a classified 200-page study known as National Security Study Memorandum 200, or NSM 200, was delivered to the president, Gerald Ford, by Henry A. Kissinger. In this document, Henry Kissinger, the unindicted war criminal, has proposed the idea that food should be used as a weapon in order to subdue developing countries and force them to adopt restrictive population control programs. Again, please visit my website to read the NSM 200 documents for yourself, and also a link to an article entitled Kissinger's 1974 Plan for Food-Controlled Genocide, which does a great job of detailing that story. That article also points out that this was not indeed Kissinger's own idea. The ideas contained in this NSM 200 document stem from a Royal Commission on Population commissioned by King George VI back in 1944 to, quote, consider what measures should be taken in the national interest to influence the future trend of population, end quote. Again, we see Kissinger's idea of food being used as a weapon reflected in reality, in fact, in the recent past. This information comes from a Volternet.org article entitled North Korea on the Alert, The Tactics of Using Food as a Weapon. This article reads in part, quote, An estimate of 3 to 5 million people starved to death in North Korea from 1993 to 1998. After that, the World Food Program, WFP, started to provide people with minimum food aid to prevent a catastrophe from happening again. However, based on arguments used by Washington, several humanitarian organizations, including Médecins Sans Frontières, protested against that aid, which, according to them, helped the dictatorship to survive. The WFP announced that it was forced to interrupt this vital aid due to a lack of financing. Once again, the United States was able to use the issue of hunger to attack one of the last bastions of Stalinism without caring about the fate of civilians in that country. 2,700,000 North Korean women and children, the neediest people that were benefited by the program, had no food aid during the 2003-2004 winter as a result of the lack of international donations. The United States and Japan, main donors within the WFP, didn't contribute the necessary funding. End quote. Again, I suggest you read the entire article, which you can find from the documentation on my website, CorbettReport.com, as it is a rather blatant example of Kissinger's 1974 genocidal food control plan being put into action. These people are serious when they put these ideas down on paper, and we should take them seriously. The most insidious part of this program of propaganda that's designed to make us believe that overpopulation is the great threat to human civilization and that we, at the very least, must start, start voluntarily having less children and, at the very worst, start killing developing countries' populations in order to ensure that they don't start overwhelming the world. The most insidious part is that people are internalizing this. You may not know where you heard it or where you picked up this idea from, but chances are you have at least encountered someone 
who has forcefully argued that we must control the population in order to prevent calamity. I'd like to demonstrate that fact by a clip from the George Norrie Show, Coast to Coast AM, from April 2007. In this episode of his program, Norrie's guests were anthropologists and novelists Michael and Kathleen Gere, whose research has led them to conclude that modern civilization is doomed due to the historic cycle of climate change and overpopulation. So here we're being hit with overpopulation and climate change as the twin pillars of this pseudoscientific totalitarianism which is descending upon us. I provide here a clip from that broadcast in which one of the callers disagrees with them, or at least seems to disagree with them on the surface. Let's listen to the clip and then dissect the propaganda involved. Okay, next up, let's go to our wild card line. Your turn. You're on Coast to Coast with us. Good morning. How you doing, George? Uh, this is Jim. I'm calling from uh, Gunnersville, Alabama. I'm listening on WGSV 1270. I had a, a couple of questions. Um, I've been listening to, uh, to the, your two guests tonight, and, you know, the, their main theme seems to be that the, the world is overpopulated. Okay, I've got a solution to that. Uh, first of all, I, I think that uh, the way we can take care of it is the way that mankind has always taken care of it, through warfare. Um, and right now with Americans being the big dogs on the planet, I think what we ought to do is have some of our liberal intelligentsia get behind our military. And if we have to make demographic changes, just, uh, you know, maybe some preemptive uh, nuclear warfare, start with the Iranians, and then maybe hit the Chinese. And move into the areas where uh, the food is. You know, Jim. Here's, here's one of the problems. problems. Yeah, here's one of the problems with that, Jim. Is uh, scientists were recently talking about how many nuclear weapons it would take to, you know, totally destroy the the environment on the earth, and they decided that it would take about 50 well placed, you know, nuclear weapons to pretty much just eliminate our civilization and, and any hope of recovering for a few thousand years. So we're going to have to be very careful if we use that as population control. It's going to well, get us, uh, well, too. Another thing that we could do as a former Marine, I know that one Marine is worth 50 of anybody else on the planet. We could drop a Marine <laughs> division. We could drop a Marine division anywhere where there's food, eliminate uh, the adversaries, and, you know, acquire that for the United States. I'm being facetious. But my point <laughs> is, my point is, we have this, this intelligentsia that have become professional students, and I'm not speaking about you guys specifically, I'm speaking, I'm painting with a broad brush here, that have these protests against the United States military that, uh, that don't want to uh, follow the foreign policy of us moving into other parts of the world. And then I hear, you know, people such as yourself that basically, without saying it, are advocating, uh, you know, destruction of, of two billion people. Well, you know, why don't we just be patriotic, realize that the United States won the Cold War, that we're the big dogs, that our, our democratic uh, way of living is the best this planet has ever had, and let's go in, destroy the enemies of the United States and of our culture, and make a, a, a better way of life for the people that are on this planet. And if we happen to take out some uh, Iranians, Chinese, or Russians, who cares? Oh, you know, well, that's a Marine's view, I think, uh, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty abrupt, you two. Uh, I think that's very abrupt. What do you think? I'm, you know, nine years Navy for me, and I wouldn't even advocate that. Do you know, I, 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 let me tell you what, what I think might happen 
is uh, in about 40 years, somebody like Jim is going to be the President of the United States. And the reason is his vision is very clear for how to solve the problem. And we're going to need somebody with very clear vision when all this comes down. Are you saying he's right? No, I'm not saying he's right. But I'll tell you what's going to happen is exactly what he just proposed. Because when it comes to feeding your family and it, it requires killing somebody else, that is what we will do. I really don't know what's the scariest part of that interview the guests on the program or the caller who called in or the fact that they actually seem to agree in the end that killing people is going to be the only way to help solve this overpopulation crisis. We're talking about nuclear Armageddon. We're talking about killing people in order to survive based on a false idea of a carrying capacity for the earth, which has been proven to be complete and utter lunacy. And yet it's completely accepted by the majority of individuals out there. I'm at a loss of words to describe just how despicable this eugenics program to depopulate the earth really is. So let's turn to someone who has a better ability to articulate this than I do. We will turn once again to the venerable Alex Jones, who recently premiered his new documentary film, Endgame, in Austin, Texas. This film will be available from Infowars.com and PrisonPlanet.tv next month and promises to expose the real eugenics agenda behind the elite that are governing the global government process, which is slowly entrapping us. In this audio clip, Mr. Jones makes a presentation before the screening of his film and discusses the eugenics agenda that is behind the myth of overpopulation and what this will really mean for humanity. Let's take a listen to this audio clip. Many of you out there probably don't know where you heard it or where you first learned it or why you have this idea in your mind that the world's overpopulated and we've got to do something to reduce the third world population. And I'm not debating that one way or the other. The truth is once a nation industrializes, they have negative population growth. And that's been in Japan, the United States, Germany, it's, uh, Russia's got about, what, a 1.2% replacement rate, so they're actually dying. Uh, much of, uh, well, all of Europe is, is, is actually dying. And when you look at the third world, the few third world nations that have made it into first world status have gone to uh, stagnant growth rates or negative growth rates. So the, uh, the way the eugenicists sell us reducing world population is really a fraud. And in the film, we cover the fact that the British Commission on Population in 1944 is the current blueprint that was adopted as official U.S. government policy in uh, 1973. And it, it, it calls for sterilization. It calls for forced abortion. It calls for uh, many other ways to reduce the population in Asia, in Latin America, and of course in Africa. And, and this is the policy of the government. And almost everyone who is aware of the New World Order and its history knows, oh yeah, they want population reduction, they want to kill us. But past that point, most people, including myself, had seen some of the quotes and read a few articles and knew a little bit about it. Well, in the process of this making this film, the last 14, 15 months intensely, we read close to 20 books, thousands of pages of documents, sent off of the actual letters from university 
to document everything that you're going to see here. And we discovered that eugenics was the foundation of almost every modern science that we see today, grew out of eugenics, and that it is the religion. It is all the elite talk about. It's all they think about. They are obsessed with it, and they are setting up world government so that they can implement it so there's no nations to run to, there's nowhere safe to go, there's no way to resist them. And that's indeed what they're now setting up. And across the world, an a iron curtain of control is being erected right now. In Australia for the APEC, uh, the big Asian Union Summit, they've banned all demonstrations in the city, but pro-APEC, pro-war, pro-Bush groups are allowed to. I mean, that's police state in the front. No protesting in the city. It's illegal. We'll physically attack you if you do. But if you're for the government, you can demonstrate. That's what Vladimir Putin does in Russia. You can go out and have a demonstration if it's government certified, but if they don't like what you have to say, even if you're a major party in Australia, you can't go out on the street or they will shoot you in the face with rubber bullets. This is an example of how this darkness is spreading across the planet right now. So I want you to understand, a lot of people see my information and they think, you know, this guy must be exaggerating, this guy must be making too strong a case. I assure you, there is no way to make the case strong enough. Uh, video, images, documents cannot grasp the human suffering, the cold-hearted, ruthless, diabolical nature of this technocracy, of this super elite, and what they're doing. I mean, we, we didn't put stuff in here like children chained down uh, from Russian studies. Uh, I mean, you'll see a few clips of it, but we didn't put the really extreme stuff. I mean, Pavlov killed his child. Skinner killed his child. I mean, these are the foundations of psychiatry. I mean, they murdered their sons. These people don't play games. And the little boy you're going to see here was killed by his father. You'll just see him for a few seconds with, with sensors implanted in his mouth and his cheeks cut open with sensors chained up for years in a dog cage. Pavlov didn't just test on German shepherds. And that was 80, 90 years ago. They were the granddaddies of this, and now it's far more wicked, far more dark. The people that we're fighting revel in wickedness. They revel in darkness. They revel in being completely ruthless. Joseph Mengele, and, and this isn't some war propaganda, this is the truth from his own diaries, every Sunday would take a little group of children down the road and give them chocolates out on the side of the road and walk up with a luger and blow their heads off. He just liked it. That's the type of individuals that we're talking about. And Nazi Germany got its roots in this country. It got its roots, of course, in England. And, and, and this is an attitude of not only is human life cheap to these people, but it's actually a cancer and a scourge, and they very piously believe they're doing a wonderful thing and that it's good that they're strong because they're callous and they're willing to kill innocent men, women, and children. There are no words for the evil that is being committed in the name of overpopulation right now. 
Go read for yourself about Pavlov and his experiments. Go read for yourself about Prince Philip saying that in the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. Read about Kissinger's NSM 200 genocidal food control plan. Read about Margaret Sanger and how she wanted to exterminate the Negro population of America. Read about Sir McFarlane Burnett's noble idea of killing the Indonesians and other Asiatic hordes because he's scared of their overpopulation. There is a eugenics scheme behind this myth, and we have to recognize what's going on. We have to realize that what is at stake in this game is human civilization itself. To talk about humans as if they're a cancer on this earth, rather than the most amazing, wonderful, dynamic spirit and force that has ever existed on this earth, is disgusting. We are being deprived of our birthright of the human civilization and being taught not to revere it. Go to a museum with your family and wonder at the magnificent works of art that were created by some of the true geniuses of humanity. Open a book and bathe yourselves in the wonder and genius of Shakespeare's writing. Turn to the films of Charlie Chaplin to see one of the most dynamic human spirits of the 20th century. I cannot accept, do not accept, and refuse to believe that humans are a cancer on this earth. The human spirit is dynamic and will overcome these attempts at oppression and repression and suppression, despite the best efforts of these eugenicist scum. That's it for this episode of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett. And I invite you to join me next week for another edition of The Corbett Report. Thank you.